This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. After a rare Brain Fuzz break, Joe and Matthew rejoin at the studio complex to discuss a recent Lost episode, Randomness in Kentucky, Music Shops in San Diego, The Band Big Star, and an essay by sculptor David Smith. Joe provides a timely audio pick of the day. This is episode 26. So there's a lost episode in between this and the last uh, 20, 20-something. I mentioned going to uh, Lexington, and I did go, and I got to catch up with another Brain Fuzz guest. Do we call him an alum? I would call him an alum. Okay. Sure. Stuart Herodner. Emeritus? Amer- uh, Brain Fuzz Emeritus. And stayed at 21C. That was interesting. Uh, went to... Uh, had a nice dinner at Lockbox there. Service was exceptional. Something else interesting to me... I met... I don't think I told you about this. I met Meatloaf's daughter... And Burt Bacharach's horse. I think this was in a message... Did I text like, you? Yeah, I think it was like, okay. no, I think he left me a message, uh, that antiquated thing, a voicemail, and I think he could say, like, hey, remind me. All right, so. So, so uh, just happened, was at a bar to uh, happen to get into this discussion, and this person turns out uh, she's uh, there uh, working on a screenplay, and... And we get to talking about, you know, well, how did you become a, you know, writer? And, and says, well, I've always been in entertainment, and my father's a musician. And I said, okay. And then finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. All right, who is it? And she goes, well, it's Meatloaf. And at that moment, it all came together. It made sense. Looking at her, her mannerisms, everything. And I thought, you're not going to make that up. Because, first of all, A, it's not going to be meatloaf. It's going to be like one of the Gibbs or something like that. Somebody like that. You wouldn't say meatloaf. Probably Probably not. It wouldn't be your first. No. (laughs) And then the fact that the mannerisms, the eyes, everything was spot on. So we talked a little bit about meatloaf and that whole life. And it it reminded me of the behind the music and everything else. And it was an amazing story. Um, And then the next day we (laughs) we went to... Old Friends Farm, which is a, uh, it, listen to this. This is a, it is essentially a nursing home for oh. retired racehorses. And it was a fascinating story. And the work that they're doing there is unbelievable. And then you have these crazy stories with some of these horses. I'm not a big horse racing guy. I didn't know all the history, but someone that does will know oh, sure. these, right. these, these horses and their stories. And then, one of the horses was Burt Bacharach's horse. So it was a racehorse. Yeah. Interesting. Is that crazy? Yeah. Those are two random I things. I was going to be like, give new meaning to a horse walks into a bar. I was <laughs> no. <I'm> praying that <laughs> no, Meatloaf's yeah. daughter and yeah. Burt Bacharach's horse were in a bar and just thinking, <laughs> no, I haven't heard that one. Hit me. It was, uh, it was a great trip. And, um, you know, I've got... I also was in San Diego, and 
We'll tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, these are like court reporting. I mean, well, I, make, I always forget this stuff, and I wanted to make sure that I got it down so that I could uh, share it. Um, so, a couple of music stops in San Diego. M Theory Music. I had some luck there, and uh, Record City. Had some luck there. I was very impressed with the selection in San Diego, but then finally. Folk Arts Rare Records is a stop that you have got to. It is unbelievable. Uh, the selection, uh, it's one of those shops where you really can't walk in there, uh-huh. you know? And you can't, and you're doing this, you, you're maneuvering your body in crazy ways to see all these titles, right? The guy, so the guy behind the counter was blasting this just classic rock, which was odd given the selection I was going to say was it one of those that's like all like non non-major label kind of uh, it was all over the place there was an incredible uh, selection of country um, the folk blues jazz and then you know if you just wanted some mainstream classic rock you know they had that too um, reel to reel a whole selection of reel to reel I mean it, it was it that's was next and the, so the guy behind the counter is blasting Led Zeppelin II. And he starts into this story with another guy about, have you ever heard this version? And he starts this story about, I don't know if you've heard this, the Robert Ludwig master of okay. Led Zeppelin II. Uh-huh. So, and I may get the story wrong, but I thought that I heard Robert Ludwig did a master of Led Zeppelin II and a master of Houses of the Holy. And there were only 200,000, I think, released of Led Zeppelin II that are the Robert Ludwig master. And it's, it's mastered so loud that some turntables just couldn't, the needle would jump. Oh, wow. And I got to tell you, what he was saying, I didn't believe it at first. I said, I'm fact-checking that. I, I go to Wikipedia somewhere. Sure enough, it's a true story. And it sounded great. It really did. But it just at first, I just thought it was just a guy blasting Led Zeppelin too. Oh, man. I'd want to I'd wanna do a A and B test on that. Yeah, big time. Big time. So it renewed my interest. I don't know how you feel about those records. It's like I've heard them so many times that I'm like, I don't need another... I'm kind of a sucker, though, for some of those, like, occasionally when you hear, you know, there's a different mix or yeah. something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm always curious. They're, uh, I just noticed R.E.M., because they need the money, uh, they're re-releasing. No, they're doing, like, a 25th anniversary. I guess they're doing a 25th for every one of their records nowadays that comes once yeah, it's 25 yeah, yeah, years right. old. But, and put out, you know, extra tracks and all that, which that can be cool for, for some bands. But they're putting it out on this new Dolby format. Um, I forgive me, my notes aren't uh, up to snuff here on this one, but but uh, anyway, it's this new Dolby format that supposedly, you know, you're supposed to be able to hear, tra- you know, always the way it's meant to be. Like, oh, okay. it's always that yeah, way, yeah, right. Great copywriting, but uh, but Peter Buck was interviewed and he said like he doesn't normally go in for that sort of thing, but he's like, I have to say, like, you know, it did really sound. Uh, pretty amazing expanded etc uh so you know you're kind of like this is interesting a new format but on the same delivery system you know but i'm still trying to figure out if it's on vinyl or which record is this um automatic for the people oh really 
And you start thinking, wow, that's 25 years old. I know. Yeah, I know. It's, um... But, uh... Did you know MGMT or Management Oracular Spectacular were around the 10th anniversary of that? No. Yeah. Time is flying. It's crazy. In the lost episode, and you can find, if you're listening and uh, you wonder what the lost episodes are, well, sometimes they just don't, they just don't happen for whatever reason. Um, issue, issue with our uh, Eastern Block uh, <laughs> editing. The uh, tape, sometimes there's a problem with the tape, but um, you can go to brainfuzzpodcast.com and click on lost episodes and you'll see what we're talking about. But um, in in the last lost episode, the topic, uh, the big topic was Big Star. I had just watched this documentary that you had talked about. And um, so the band Big Star, you know, it's had me, that discussion has had me thinking a lot about the creative process and creative trajectories and how creative trajectories are different than career trajectories. First off, for those that don't don't know about Big Star, Joe, you want to just give a quick uh, thumbnail sketch? I'm sure. Um, I guess, I mean, I think that a lot of it's kind of packaged now as this amazing kind of super group uh, comprised of uh, Alex Childen, the, uh, the teenage uh, singer behind the uh, box tops, uh, I think that was a number one hit, The Letter. I think so. Uh, 16 when he sang that. I mean, that's such a gravelly, yeah. amazing song. Uh, but came together in, uh, in Memphis and recorded at Arden, beautiful Arden Studios. And um, I don't know. I think it's one of those, like, growing up uh, through the glory days of um, college radio um, and, and kind of the underground college press or zines or what have you. I mean, Big Star was always referenced by bands, REM, Replacements, then, of course, name-checked in Alex Chilton by the Replacements, I'm pleased to meet me. Um, but it was always, uh, and I could never find their records. You know, I didn't, my brother didn't have them, I didn't have them. So it took years to kind of finally track those things down. They had been out of print forever. And it's amazing. I mean, of now you can get anything. Yeah. Um, they subsequently got back together, I think it was the early 90s, mm-hmm. with... Uh, Ken Stringfellow and John Auer from the Posies and played at like a one-off show I can't remember where but I think the record was called Columbia they put that out you know and it was just like mm-hmm. okay and I guess they would tour every now and then after that but um, so I guess we were kind of talking about just you, you mentioned you know career tra- trajectories like I don't you know like what do you think theirs was I mean there's a lot of discussion about you know a band that's Apparently, did they have a lot of ambition naming their record, like number one record? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and yet didn't didn't tour, barely, I mean, really barely played live and expected right. to, you know, did they expect to have critical success? Did they care? I mean, you think about, like, the interviews I've heard or read with Alex Chilton. I mean, that, that was a very different uh, kind of personality. He didn't seem, and he right. had success as a as, Yeah, as he'd, a already, he'd already so, had it. He'd already tasted it. Uh, he seemed to deliberately go the, the other way. Well, one question in, in that discussion that has stuck with me. You asked um, about Big Star and its context, the music that was surrounding them at the time. Like the, the yeah. kind of music that was being made. And then here they come along with this. And a few days later, I happened to be reading Theories oh and Documents of Contemporary Art. 
Look at that, a new version, yeah. too. So, <laughs> Christine Stiles and Peter Seltz, Theories and Documents of Contemporary Art. And I'm, and I I'm, must. And it, I tell you, it is, it is surprisingly readable because it's broken down. These essays are broken down into manageable bites. But the, I was pondering that question. A few days later, I stumble on this uh, essay by David Smith. This, this, this is what connected for me. Art, uh, I'm going to read just a little bit here and a little bit there. Um, art is a paradox that has no laws to bind it. Laws set can always be violated. That confuses the pragmatic mind. There may exist conventionalized terminologies and common designations for periods, but no rules bind, either to the material substances from which it, art, is made, or the mental process of its concept. It is created by man's imagination in relation to his time. And then shortly, uh, in, in just a bit, I believe that my time is the most important in the world, that the art of my time is the most important art, that the art before my time has no immediate contribution to my aesthetics, since that art is history explaining past behavior, but not necessarily offering solutions to my problems. Art is not divorced from life. It is dialectic. It is ever-changing and in revolt to the past. Yeah, I figured you'd like that. There's a lot in there. Oh, it's a lot to work through, but but it it you know, f- looking at it from the creative process and and you know again kind of using the big star story as a backdrop. You know, these are guys that were doing what they needed to do, produce what they needed to produce. Yeah, and they they weren't completely. Um, they weren't completely disconnected with what was happening, but right. we now look with, with hindsight, we can see that what they produced did not really connect with that moment in, in popular music. But that could be for a variety of reasons, don't you think, in terms of like, obviously a distribution to the song, get to radio, yeah. they didn't tour. Yeah. I mean, I always wonder, was it because it just was ahead of its time or behind its time or yeah. was it because people just didn't experience it yeah I mean it, I don't think it was I mean even of that time I don't think it was like on uh, I mean people listen to Captain Beefheart and mm-hmm. Zappa I mean some of that stuff's way out there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. compared to this yeah. so I, I don't know but, and I also you, you know in this line I believe that, that my time is the most important in the world I mean, obviously, Mr. Smith here is extremely confident in this. Like, I'm not yeah. sure, you know, again, even in that documentary about Big Star, like, if they were aware or were that didactic and like, oh, this is it and this is amazing. I, I'm, I'm sure they were perhaps confident in what they were doing, but I don't know if it was like this table pounding. Right. This is it. Um, I mean, I agree with a lot of the, what's in this essay, um, but I, I don't, I do disagree in terms of like completely writing off the past. But again, this was written between 1947 and yeah. 1952. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand what he's trying to shrug off there. That is absolutely right. But, yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot to unpack in this one. And this is you, like literally a page, which is... yeah refreshing you know to not have to sift through maybe like 40 pages to get to the meat but you know he goes on and he says I believe that art is yet to be born and that freedom and equality are yet to be born I mean that obviously but if we start with just the first half of that sentence I believe that art is yet to be born what does that 
what does that mean? And is, you know, is he the one to give birth to this? Or, I mean, that, that kind of is one of those big statements where, like, <laughs> put the pipe down, buddy. <laughs> but we run into this all the time when you read the, you know, when you read the art magazines, when you, when you read the reviews, when you um, look at what's popular out there, what, you know, collectors are buying, and then you, and then you look at your, your journey, your, your path. What yeah. you're making, and you and you and you compare it, and you think, "Am I just? What am I thinking here? Is this? I'm, you know, maybe what's popular isn't what I want to make, or that I feel I need to make." Well, yeah, that's when I think some of this is comforting when he's, yeah. you know, he's saying, "I feel my own time. I am disconnected. I believe I belong to no mores, no party, no religion, no school of thought. No, no school of thought sounds a little. I don't know why you would say that, but." Um, he feels a belligerence to, to museums, critics, art historians. Yes, yeah. and I'm like, is, maybe that's before you found success, and then. But um, but I was thinking I had a conversation with a friend who was bringing up some current art, big art world, you know, capital issues like you know Carol Walker's statement from her recent show, which caused quite a splash. Or uh, and he also mentioned uh, Oscar Murillo, you know, tearing up his uh, passport. And I was thinking, and I have a lot of respect for Kara Walker, uh, but I was thinking, like, that stuff has, like, no bearing on my life, you know, in terms of, like, the, that big art world that's just so, like, I can't even really think mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's, like, make-believe, but it's just, it's like Hollywood, in a way. I'm not saying the art, but mm-hmm. I mean, like, I just, mm-hmm. don't, I just don't pay attention to it. I don't have time. I don't have the mental, there's too many other things to think about, and I think I'm trying to get, like, answer your question or, or you, you were basically saying how does some of this stuff affect your life you still just kind of have to make what you're making and think right. about what you're thinking because otherwise you're chasing the zeitgeist which yes. is you know what hit me was rereading this and I just um, was rereading uh, Raphael Rubinstein's provisional painting um, for like I don't know like the umpteenth time you know and mm-hmm. finding new bits in there but he was even going on about like no more masterpieces in terms of being like maybe a cup a covenant that might be a strong word for the you know the advent of of provisional painting and you know he's kind of talking about that here as well I mean so I guess I'm always comforted when I see people trying to tear down some of these kind of institutional walls yeah and labels and it's just like you know you got to people need to make what they're making and because otherwise like who then who's the gatekeeper Everyone, we have to call Klaus Biesenbach and say, yeah. Klaus, yeah. <laughs> is it okay? Um, interesting. That was a good one. I'm glad you um, pulled that one out. And it's, uh... Before we get to the audio pick of the day, I've got to say a word about artstie.com. Artstie.com provides the largest jobs and career resource site for jobs in the arts. Now, we all know that if you have a job in the arts or you're considering... You're damn lucky. No, yeah. <laughs> a career, if, or are considering a career in arts administration, for example, it can be a very difficult field to navigate. And traditional job sites, they just don't do it, uh, do it justice. Now, the people at Arts Tie understand this and have created the perfect destination. Whether you're looking to post jobs or you want job alerts, maybe... Uh, maybe you're just curious what's out there. Anyway, you should check it out. Visit artstie.com. That's artstie, A R T S T 
T-I-E.com. And now. The Brain Fuzz Audio Pick of the Day. I am going with uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre, Take It From The Man. All right. It's a fine record. Uh, recorded November 1995 through February 96. Um, psychedelic garage rock at its finest. And think of 96. That's, you know. And they had three, was it three records in that year? Three records in that year. So there's 18 songs on that record. And uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it is. I, it's a double record. I have a uh, blue and red uh, translucent vinyl and it sounds fantastic uh, and yeah within that year like what a tear um, their Satanic Majesty's uh, second request has 19 songs on it and then the uh, fabulous Thank God for Mental Illness with uh, only 14 songs but one of which is um, 33 minutes long Sound of Confusion that if you speed through if you just can't take it uh-huh. till about 11 or 12 minutes there is just like one of the greatest songs Anton has ever come up with that I mean the guy just was still is but uh, extremely prolific but uh, you know his goal was to kick off a musical revolution I mean he's like half madman half shaman Uh, wow Uh, and he had this great quote on the record and this is uh, Anton Newcomb who is like the the founder of the uh, the massacre and uh, in this era is the kind of the golden era Uh, Matt Hollywood and Joel Gion the uh, the fabulous tambourine man and the glue of the band but uh Here's his quote for uh, that's printed on the on the album. I, Anton A. Newcomb, do solemnly swear that the ghost of Brian Jones came to me in the studio and asked me to make this record. P.S. He also asked that I kick the shit out of old Mick and Keith for ripping off his band, girl, and money, having him murdered, being glad he's dead, and for not being very nice people. Yeah. It is amazing listening to that record how well they nailed that that little slice of yeah. time and but I think like they're not like reenactors no like, you know no. It, it winds up he was able to put a very good spin mm-hmm. on it and I I really think it was really the bulk of it was him really because I mean you've seen so there's a fabulous documentary called Dig okay so that's still on my list okay and at that kind of I think it came out. It took like seven years to make it, and it's kind of a chronicle between them and the Dandy Warhols. Uh-huh. There was a very friendly rivalry for a while, and then uh, I think it's borne out in the in the film that I mean the, the Dandies went on to like critical success. Yeah, and yeah. They kind of you can see that they the bands just went in complete opposite directions in terms of kind of quality and. And it's interesting because you could see like Courtney Taylor from the Dandies like looking for approval from Anton, and Anton's just silent like when he's playing this like kind of insipid pop song for him. <laughs> and you, you could tell like that probably was a horrible moment. At least he was honest enough to put it in the film. But uh, <laughs> wow. But uh, well, it's interesting to think about that in going back to our earlier conversation yeah. here. I mean, in that music clearly built on what came before it. Yeah. And I mean, you couldn't have that without... Right, and purposely using a lot of those instruments, like, you know, harmonium and stuff specifically, yeah. like yeah. the Stones harpsichord or what have you, or, um, and not being afraid. Like, I don't think he gave a damn about, you know, labels or this or that. It just was like, this is the music I have to make or want to make. That's the sense that I get. And, you know, I think that's amazing. It's probably not somebody you want to be in the same room with no. for long, but... Um, 
Uh, and I think one of the guys, uh, I don't even know, was like insert like, you know, guitar player number 43 or what have you uh, in that band was saying like, you know, if he had it his way, he would just clone himself seven, you know, however many and play all the parts. Because I guess on the records, he probably just, you know, it's one of those where he's erasing people's stuff and reading yeah. it. And, all right, you know, <laughs> I, you know, maybe a little different than Brian Wilson, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you maintain that kind of pace? I mean, that's obviously some... That's fueled by yeah. some illegal plus... That's you got not, some, you that's got not green tea. You got some... Yeah. But wow. <laughs> yeah. We get to benefit, you know, and not have to deal with the... <laughs> the aftermath. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, they're, they're fabulous records, and um, I don't know. I need to kind of dip back in and see what they've been doing. It's funny how you lose touch with bands sometimes, or you get stuck with maybe yeah. a certain era, and then you're like, yep. yeah, I'm yep. not quite sure if I want to... Did it hold up? Are you still... But you know what? I have found that, that sometimes those are the best uh, examples of what you could say you could call true artists because you don't like everything they, they're doing it's because they're constantly pushing I can think of a, a um, number of artists that are that way that, that I don't like everything and that's a good sign that, that they're pushing the boundaries that's, that's true um, as long as you didn't buy like the you know two records set for you know $45 on yeah this. right but then again does you come back to it in 10 years yeah. and suddenly it's like oh you know yeah. you know like I said for years I couldn't get past the production of those big star records in particular really it's, yeah the, it know, was the production just kind of sounded like that 70s flat the drums were kind of just huh. has a very strange yeah, no, you, sound, that's true. you know and like and a lot of stuff in the early 70s I mean the drums are all just muted down and compressed beyond yeah and like having a set of drums it's like no like drums actually should ring and not be taped down to within an inch of their life and yeah so that that it is it, that's interesting that you you mentioned that um because of okay so those were recorded at Ardent Ardent had a relationship with Stax and that is a crazy story in and of itself. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have links at Lost Episodes for to fill in some of the big star story here that we were talking about. You just go to brainfuzzpodcast.com, click on Lost Episodes, and then, of course, from there you can listen to all our past past episodes and whatever whatever platform you're listening on. Please subscribe, like us, share us, comment. Look forward to hearing from you. I can't wait till we start putting these out on cassette. Yep, we're gonna have the uh, cassette box set coming up. And have you seen have you seen the Portlandia where they have the B fifty twos box set? No. Okay, you gotta see. It's in the new season. It's in the latest season. Oh, it's entertaining. Oh, I'm sure. I haven't I haven't seen that show in a long time. We got some good stuff coming up. We got new gas coming up. I know it's been oh, yeah. a bit of a break, and we're coming back with some uh, pretty interesting conversations. I'd say. Yeah, and I, I actually want you Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at BrainFuzzPodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag BrainFuzzPodcast. Now, get out there and chase the zeitgeist. Or not. <laughs>